Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that gives you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes, Mookie Alexander, and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 188 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined by Mookie Alexander and Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing the possibility of Jake Paul boxing Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson's decision to not return to flyweight, Robert Whitaker's consideration of a move to light heavyweight still, and we'll be looking at the best fights from UFC Paris. And for those unaware, this is Mookie's last show as he's going to go on to a new job opportunity outside combat sports. So if you would, bear with us if things go a little off track as they are bound to since this is his last Bloody Elbow show ever. Now before we jump into all that, we are going to find out what's been happening with my boys. Mookie, let's start with you. Well, what's been happening to me is... uh trying not to melt because of all this heat. I mean, we've had like two dozen 90 plus degree days out here. It's been absolutely insane. At least we haven't had as dangerous a wildfire season as we did a couple of years ago. Um, I'm doing well. Yes, this is my last show as a, as a member of the Bloody Elbow staff, but since the level change is going to continue on, even after I'm gone, I'll still be on the show from time to time, uh, making predictions and just chatting with you guys. But uh, hey, we're going to knock this out of the park as our last show together is three. And we've got a really good card ahead of us with UFC Paris. I cannot wait for it. Yeah, it's a good card. Victor, how are you doing? I mean, it's hot here, too. I've just been uh, doing a lot of my dad things, you know, just a lot of cooking, trying to get back into exercising. And I am exhausted. This is just this this whole thing about, you know, hey, man, it's it's cool. You're going to love parenthood. Yeah, I mean, I do. But God, man, does it need to be this tiresome? well uh i'm doing all right my birthday was yesterday and one of the presents my husband gave me was that he is gonna be off until next friday he took a bunch of vacations so that we could do whatever we want so i have a whole lot of nothing planned and i'm so looking forward to it um but that's enough about all of us we are gonna jump into our first news topic and as i mentioned earlier we're kind of looking at a Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva fight, and I'm not totally down about it, you know? I, I don't know why, but I want to see it. I want to see Anderson Silva whoop up on him. But anyways, to the actual meaty part of the news, TMZ reported Tuesday that Jake Paul is set to face longtime UFC middleweight champion and MMA legend Anderson Silva in a boxing bout in October. The location is still yet to be determined and an initial report from No Smoke Boxing has the bout scheduled for October 29th. Now, MMA Fighting's Guillermo Cruz reached out to sources with knowledge of the matchup who confirmed that the bout is indeed in the works. Now, Paul's Most Valuable Promotions tweeted Tuesday that his next fight will be announced next week, but he did not indicate an opponent or date, but come on, the cat's out of the bag, and I kind of feel like this might actually happen. I'm not mad at it, though. I'm really not. I kind of want to see it again, and I feel like Anderson will probably make a good payday if this goes down, because there's one thing about Jake, it's that he wants to put forth this image that he is the, the, the savior of combat sports. And even though he's not anywhere close to that, he seems to be throwing out money to create that image. And I'm totally fine with that. Let Anderson uh, get that bag off of him. Gentlemen. Yeah, I think I got out of this business at the right time because imagine me having to cover this. But you know, you know what? I'm actually curious. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying this. Respect to Jake Paul if he is boxing Anderson Silva. Mm. Now, there's a good chance this will be officially announced by the time that this show goes on the air. So I'm going to work on the assumption that this fight is a done deal. October 29th, literally the week before my birthday. How about that? 
Um, so with, with Paul, we were wondering, okay, is he going to take on a real professional boxer anytime soon? Hasim Rahman Jr. might be a professional boxer, but despite his record, he's not very good. And evidenced as evidenced by the, uh, the whole weight cutting fiasco, not very serious. Anderson Silva, we know, can be a, a, a fantastic striker. He's one of the great strikers in MMA history. We saw him box up Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. last year. So he and I think he had two professional boxing matches uh, very, very early on in his combat sports career. So he could have pursued a pro boxing career, I, I think, if he wanted to. So I think this is a, a very credible fight to have. Yes, Anderson may be 47 years old. He is not vintage spider, but just in the boxing ring, he's given us two wonderful things. One, another Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. loss. And two, the utterly hilarious farce that was him boxing up and knocking out Tito Ortiz. If he knocks out Jake Paul, if he beats Jake Paul, it's like the Damian Maia and Thales latest fights will be a distant memory. There will be statues built by MMA fans just for that. Um, I think that Silva's got to be favored just because he is so much better a boxer than Jake Paul. Uh, I guess the only question here would be the weight. And, and and how much bigger Paul could be. But from a technique standpoint, I mean, Paul's he's not bottom-level atrocious or anything. He's got baseline competence in the sport. But Anderson Silva, he, he's a god. He is mm-hmm. a fantastic striker. He is a damn good boxer. And, uh, yeah, w- let's see this happen. This is a circus I think I can get behind, which I didn't think I'd be saying. But I, we're getting this. And Hasim Rahman Jr.'s boxing Vitor Belfort on October 15th. Safe to say, I'll be ignoring the Vitor one, but I'll have attention to Jake Paul Anderson Silva. Let's look at Jake Paul for a second. He's currently 5-0 and as a professional boxer. You know, he had that fight with KSI or whatever. The Nate Robinson thing when we start. And then after that, I mean, let's look at this. KSI, not a guy who's been, you know, like a lifelong boxer or somebody with any sort of combat sports accolade. Same for Nate Robinson. Ben Askren probably the worst high level MMA fighter in terms of striking. Uh, he's up there with, with, uh, with Jake Shields. I mean, he's just a dude who's known for his grappling and there's no shame in that necessarily, but he had no business in a boxing match. And you know, who knew that more than anybody? Ben Askren, which is why he showed up all fat and lumpy. Then you got Tyron Woodley, who again, known in some way for his hands, but only in the MMA sphere, not exactly, uh, someone who has a high boxing acumen. And of course that was uh, shown in the rematch where, well, let, let's let's not even let's not even think about that too much. I need to mention that to state here the fact that Anderson Silva is not a guy who started with wrestling. He's a guy who started with striking, and he's a guy who's more than capable with his hands. And we saw it not just in the MMA sphere, but in the boxing arena as well. We saw him take out on the, uh, uh, Julio Cesar nepotism, and we also saw him go out there and deliver what I think is still one of the funniest set of circumstances in the knockout win over Tito Ortiz. Very sad. He did not look like a prime athlete in there, and it happened on 9-11. 9-11, a day I celebrate every year. Very, very fancy. Uh, Look, I think this is good. This is compelling because here we finally have a situation where we think, yeah, you know what? Jake Paul is not going to be feasting on this cat like a vulture. Yes, he's old, but he's still got the power. He still has his movement. Speed isn't what it used to be. His chin is not what it used to be. But even though Jake can't hit hard, you got to find that chin first. I say it every time, you know, can he do that? Can he actually make it? And if he does, will he make a dent in Anderson? I don't know. I don't know. I, I find it genuinely compelling because yes, Jake does have a chance to win, but man, even though the lines opened with Anderson as the underdog, I'm seeing that the action's moving in the other direction now, which <laughs> I mean, somebody woke up and said, holy shit, wait, did we get the names wrong or something? Like, did we uh, did we accurately uh, lay this out? I, who, who made these numbers? Was it Yanni the Greek? I don't know. <laughs> and by the way, now that I mentioned him because I got to do it, shout out to Mike Batista, my man Mikey Betts, who had the funniest line on Twitter. He said, Yanni the Greek is only so tan, not because of the time he spends on uh, in the sun, but because all the roasting he gets for his shitty bets. I love it. Uh, this is, this is interesting. And, and I can't stop thinking about like, okay, but how does this play out? I absolutely would favor Anderson because he's battle tested and yes, long in the tooth, but 
he still has all the uh, the veteran savvy, man. He's been at this for longer. He knows how to manage the ring and, and how to uh, cut opponents off. He can keep people in the corner. He can manipulate things in terms of space and distance management way better than what I've seen out of Jake. And I'm not a boxing expert. Do, do I need to be to look at this and say, hey, that's probably going to be pretty damn bad for Jake. I mean, what happens to him if he loses? You know, does he lose the clout that he uh, that he wanted, or is this a safe loss for him if he were to suffer a defeat? Because think about it. Yeah, he would lose, but he'd lose to Anderson Silva, an all-time great, a guy who's also known for his striking. So this is kind of like the Frank Mir-Brock Lesnar one uh, matchmaking, you know, where it's like, I don't know, man. I mean, everybody looks good, win or lose here, regardless, right? I mean, am I wrong here? Well, it, it depends on if Jake Paul loses, how would he react in defeat? Would he be delusional or upset or anything? Uh, but it, it, you look at Jake Paul's progression in terms of opponent quality. All right, KSI. Um, no, actually, no. Logan Paul boxed KSI. KSI, uh, sorry, Jake Paul boxed Anis and Gibb, whoever the hell he is. Oh, and okay. Yeah, he right, stopped right, him right. quickly. Yeah, you get your Paul brothers mixed up. It's easy. But KSI beat two guys in one night last weekend. And don't I know it because his fans got pissed at me when I said reevaluate your life if you're watching that. Oh, um, but anyway, Jake Paul beat Anis and Gibb. Okay, so he's beaten another YouTuber. He gets Nate Robinson. Okay, a professional athlete who passes prime can't box for the life of him. Ben Askren, okay, somebody with combat sports experience, not known for his striking because it sucks. Tyron Woodley, okay, somebody <laughs> with power. Tyron Woodley's got punching power. There's no denying that, but boxing is not his strong suit, and he ended up getting absolutely destroyed in the rematch, and the fight itself was <laughs> ugly leading, leading up to the knockouts. Anderson Silva, yeah, he's 47, but we know that his boxing is, is a, a legitimate threat. He's got power. And uh, one thing with Anderson's striking, whether with his, his kicks or knees or punches, to, to quote Mike Goldberg, his precision is very precise. And that's something that Jake Paul might have a very difficult time dealing with. So if, if it happens, kudos to him, because I think I've said, or, or maybe one of us has said on this podcast, Jake Paul wanted to box Anderson Silva. I don't know if he wants that smoke. Well, it, it seems like he does. And it's something that could actually draw pretty well. It could draw pretty well because people know Anderson Silva's name a lot more than Hasim Rotman Jr., let alone Rotman Sr., based on the audience. So uh, October 29th, uh, I'm sure we're all going to be definitely tuning in legally to watch this pay-per-view. Wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> you see the as the Dana White van is outside of your house and your phones are suddenly like, what? What? I didn't know they made Bonzi Buddy for phones. What? How did this get here? <laughs> That's that's great. That's awesome. Oh, well, anyway, now we're going to move on to uh, a different situation here, not a new beginning, but rather something of an end. And that is concerning the one and only Demetrius Johnson, another all time great who, as uh, was, of course, well known earlier in the week and covered at length on a little show called Mookie and Crookie. R.I.P., uh, that had a little uh, – he, he had something to say in reference to the situation as far as his weight class is concerned. Now, here, here's what happens, right? One championship has their flyweight, quote-unquote, division, but really what happens with all weight divisions over there is that everybody really fights about 10 pounds higher than what is usual. So their welterweight division is really around 180. Their allowances are different. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, Demetrius has been out there fighting at essentially what is bantamweight for the time that he's been at one, and people have discussed the possibility of how well he would do if he were to return to the UFC, back to his old stomping grounds to reclaim the uh, throne, but... I mean, look, man, after a certain period of time, especially at his age, not really something that he'd be comfortable with. And he discussed this matter with Ariel Hawani where he said, yeah, man, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that this is really what would be best for anyone at this point. And he said this. I've said this in the past. I don't think I can make 125. I know I could, but do I want to do it? Absolutely not. I don't think it would be healthy for me. I don't want to have jeopardize my kidneys or my liver. So I don't put myself in that category with Pantoge, Figueiredo, Moreno, all those guys. I put myself in the category with Aljamain Sterling, Petter Jan, Sugar Sean O'Malley, Dominic Cruz. I'm not weighing at 125 pounds. I can't make it anymore. I don't want to make it anymore. For me, I see myself as a bantamweight here in America, where in Asia, it's flyweight. Okay, minor correction. No, it's not in Asia. It's just in that one organization. But all right, fine. We're just going to let's keep this rocking here. I truly believe that when it comes down to it, when everything's said and done and I walk away from the sport, I believe I'm one of the best flyweights to ever do mixed martial arts. You guys think I'm the best flyweight in the world right now, not fighting in America. Dope. That's awesome. But for me, I'm the champ. I'll just leave it at that. Y'all decide. I don't want to get into this discussion. 
Johnson's record is currently 31-4 with one draw, and he's 36 years old. I don't think it's advisable for anybody at that point, especially someone who's been doing this for as long as he has and at the level that he has, to continue to cut the weight in that manner. Maybe there's a way he could do something kind of like what uh, Aldo is doing, stay a little closer to fight weight. Maybe he gets his nutrition right, and he can do so in a manner that is somewhat safer. But again, does he need to really i mean the man's cashing fat checks he's putting on extraordinary performances he's still having an absolutely legendary career not only is he making allegedly a ton of money but he's having fun and he's looking great while he's doing it does he really need to do that does he really need to rally to get back to the ufc or whatever or to just drop that weight and take on anybody else just for what for the, the some sort of legacy that isn't quite there for something that's fading i mean look at either weight class the man is a terror and he demonstrated that whether it was in his time at 135 when he was here stateside and when he dropped down to 125 and had the run that he ended up having and it, I guess it is a bit of a shame that things worked out the way they did or rather that they didn't work out because, you know, I mean, look, you, you always have the concerns and the questions of what could have been. Had he stayed in the UFC, had he continued to fight stateside, what would his career look like? Would he have the opportunities and the exposure that he has now? I don't know. He still is something of um, – He's still as big a deal as he was. In fact, he probably might be a little more. He might have a little more notoriety because he's just putting on, again, more highlight reel performances, testing himself against guys in situations that he's not entirely familiar, but he's still coming out looking like a million bucks. So what do we say, folks? Is this a good read by him? Should he continue on this path? Is this the right and proper stance for him? Or should he maybe kind of sort of reconsider and perhaps think about dropping one more time and doing so in a manner that is relatively ethical and safe just to see how things would go why would he he's he's contracted to one they don't fight at 125 so i don't see any point in that just to see just make a test drop nah there's no no reason for it especially when he said himself that he can't make it anymore that he doesn't want to make it anymore I feel like he's turned off the light for that permanently. And I'm absolutely fine with it. Would he do well at 125 in the UFC right now? I think he would do fine, but I don't know that he would reclaim the title. That's the thing. I I, I have some reservations about that because let's face it, one has great competition, but I don't know that it's the same level as the UFC. I, I would have to see the everyone compete on the same level which is something that john nash has pushed for a long time it shouldn't be one organization owning all their own belts it should be a governing body that has a belt that everybody can fight for then we could really see how people would do against others you know at the same weight class etc we always wonder but we're never going to get to see it as long as the ufc has this stranglehold on the entire sport but where he's at right now he's doing great he's probably making wonderful money i'm happy to watch him wherever he's at that's that yeah a, a little uh, history lesson i guess a reminder his very last fight in the UFC was in California, so they released fight night weights. So his fight with Cejudo um, on fight night, Cejudo weighed 141, and Demetrius Johnson was 142. So you, you think about that, that's 13.6% over the flyweight limits that he gained from the Friday into Saturday. So that's clearly not some sort of easy cut for, for DJ. And now that we're five years removed from that, it's probably even more difficult now. So as much as I selfishly would love to see him back at flyweights in the UFC for the sake of his body, and especially at this age and at this age of his career, it, it makes sense for him just to stay at 135. So that's flyweight for one, that's bantamweight uh, pretty much everywhere else. But still selfishly, I wouldn't mind if somehow some way Demetrius could end his career in the UFC with a couple of fights at Bantamweight because, yeah, Bantamweight's a much deeper division than Flyweight, but there would still be some fights of interest to me. I mean, he he brought up the names. He puts himself in the category of Sterling, Jan, O'Malley, etc. I think he'd piece up O'Malley. But, you know, Jan, that, that could be a fight that people would like. Dominic Cruz, a rematch of, of their fight from yesteryear when Mighty Mouse was a part-time fighter. Yeah, that would be awesome. But in the meantime, 
He's a one championship. He's not only uh, showing that he still ha- has plenty left in the tank, as evidenced by that awesome win over Adriano Moraes, but he can also do other things within one. Uh, he had that that mixed rules fight with uh, Rod Tang, and that worked out pretty well for him. Uh, it, it's, I guess, a more enjoyable experience for him than it was in the UFC. And Mighty Mouse is one of one centerpieces. In the UFC, as much as we love Mighty Mouse, he's, he'd just be another name. We've seen how the UFC has marketed him over the years. If he were to ever return to the UFC, it's not like they'd be flinging roses at his feet. And that's just the sad truth. Yeah. So. We'll see what happens next with Demetrius Johnson's career. I'm, I'm going to be watching his fights for, for as long as he's still got something left in the tank. And we've discussed weight cutting enough to know wanting fighters to cut more weight and, and to jeopardize their body, jeopardize their health even more, not particularly advisable. And we can think of a fighter who's got a, gr- who's a great shining example of you're killing yourself to make this weight. So why don't you move up a weight class? Maybe you'll have more success now that you're not draining yourself anymore. That would be Robbie, Robert Whitaker. I almost called him Robbie Whitaker in a mix of, of Bobby Knuckles and Robert Whitaker. But Robert Whitaker, the former UFC middleweight champion, got a fight this weekend at UFC Paris against Marvin Vittori. But if you remember back in the day, he was a welterweight. In fact, that's uh, one of Wonder Boy's highlight wins. He stopped Robert Whitaker with strikes at 170. Whitaker moved up to 185, and he's become uh, one of the greats of the division. Now... What about moving up another weight class? Now, this is something Whitaker has discussed before, but you, you know, you wonder if that's just a fleeting moment or if somebody's actually serious. But he told Submission Radio he is mulling a move to 205. He said, quote, I'm definitely thinking about going up to light heavyweight. I've been thinking about it a lot just because I like the idea. He said, I've been thinking about 205 for a fair bit. The problem is I wouldn't go to 205 to come back down to 185 just because I don't want to go into 205 as a fat 185-er. You see a lot of guys try that, and they get starched. And then they come back down. It doesn't make any sense. So when I moved up to 185 the first time, there was no way I would never come back down. No way I would ever come back down to 170. I could never make it. You got to put on muscle. You got to train at that way. Got to do all the bits and bobs then and there. But I've been thinking about 205. I think it would be a more natural weight for me personally. But the height disadvantage is annoying. I don't know if I want to deal with that. I don't know. Once I make the decision to go up to 205, I'm there. That will be my division. I'd finish my career there for better or worse. And uh, he also added he's doing really well at 185. He says he's one of the most dangerous men in the division. We know that for sure. He had a pretty competitive rematch with Adesanya. Uh, you think about 205 and the fact that Anthony Smith was able to challenge for the belt. So was Tiago Santos, both former middleweights going up to light heavyweight, becoming instant contenders. But they're also pretty big for middleweight. Robert Whitaker from 185 to 205, he's talking about the, the size disadvantage. Yeah, I think that would be a pretty big problem. So if Whitaker does it, more power to him. But I don't know about you guys. I think that would be a bad idea. I'd rather he stay at 185 unless the cut is really getting to him. Just stay at middleweight. That's his best weight class. It really is. And he's smart to worry about the height disadvantage that he'll be at because them some big boys over there. And it's not just going to be height. It's going to be reach. It's going to be weight. People are going to come in a lot bigger than him. And he's also smart to worry about becoming a fat light heavyweight because as stocky as he is and as short as he is that kind of weight would probably make him chubby i just don't like the idea at all i think he's best suited here at 185 so stay put at 185 please you know when you said you said robbie whitaker what Mm. crossed what crossed my mind was like wait what if what if robert whitaker and, and Robbie Lawler did the fusion dance. And then I just had this, like, I sank in my seat, like, oh, my, but just the terror that overwhelmed me in that moment. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I got yeah, to have underwear. to shut down the sport due to competitive balance. Yeah, exactly. Imbalance. Exactly. You might as well just cancel the championship because he's coming after all of them. Uh, but no, I, I, I do think that while it is interesting for, you know, the, the conceptually, the idea of him going to light heavyweight, I, I don't know that that's the sort of thing where he would benefit from that. He he would still have the same speed and mobility. He'd still be spry. And he's a better athlete than, Jesus Christ. I mean, 
I, I want to say safely as a conservative estimate, about 80% of that division. I mean, that's just, that's just facts. You know I mean? Like, that's not so much to knock the people that are there. It's just that he's that damn good. And he's, he's just, uh, despite being a little up there in age himself, you know, he's, he's still, he's still looking great. He's still doing a, a lot of damage. Uh, does his power translate the same way? Uh, does his wrestling, you know, it, it, his wrestling technique is still down pat, but will he be able to handle the larger guys? I mean, Steffi, you raised the biggest point there, right? These dudes, they're only weighing 205 pounds for about an hour. After that, mm-hmm. these dudes are ballooning up to 230. <laughs> Easy, yeah? So it's like, shit, what does he do then? And this is a guy who started his UFC career as a welterweight, and he moved up, and it went great. But clearly, you know, look, he's already lost to Adesanya twice. He's still a top contender in that division. He's still a highly ranked fighter in that division for very good reason. He's still ranked number one. But, you know, that door is kind of almost shut. He'd have to do some incredibly uh, impressive things to be able to get a third crack at that belt. And that's purely off the strength of the first loss that he had against Adesanya, even though he acquitted himself marvelously in the second fight. Um, it just it just doesn't seem like something that's uh, as as attainable as some would want. And I think he kind of sees that. I think this is kind of like one of those deals where it's 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 conceptual insurance. Right. Like, look, if I don't get another crack at the title, if I'm just going to be that dude that keeps fending people back and is still fighting and at an elite level and racking up wins but I'm still not going to get another shot at the championship, then what is all of this for? And I empathize with that. Um, I, I, I feel terrible for the guy being stuck in this particular predicament, but that's just what that is. And so if he's thinking, well, shoot, I could just move my way up to 205 and you know start working on it from there. I mean, this is where a 195 division, the whole Franklin weight joke, uh, you know, really started to gain some traction with the MMA fandom um, as something that would be actually rather beneficial right much like uh, 165 instead of 170 you know like why do you have these crazy gulfs between one division and the next i I think this would really um i think this this would be something that would be perfect for whitaker but nah 205 probably too much of an ask especially with the way some of those guys are look at the dudes that are in the top 10 paul craig tiago santos volkan ozdemir and uh dominic reyes that's just 10 through 7 those are those are big dudes man that's not even getting to guys like Ankalaev and rakic I, I i don't know i just don't i don't think that that's as good a move but it's one of those deals where it's crazy enough to work just off the strength of it being whitaker you know it's not that he's lucky he's he is skilled and he does have i mean just stylistically i think he matches up great against some of these guys so maybe that's another factor he's considering i think he should wait on his decision until after adesanya fights Pereira, because if Pereira wins that door is suddenly wide open for whitaker again assuming whitaker beats vittori yeah that would be a path back to becoming champion again but at 205 i mean prohaska will probably be be keeping the belt for a bit especially if he gets past glover in the rematch i favor him over pretty much all those other dudes at 205 but you think about whitaker's chin it's not terrible by any means but he's been stopped at 170 he's been hurt by romero and adesanya at 185 he's he's been in some bouts he got hurt by cannoneer late in their fight and he was winning that comfortably can he take light heavyweight power can he take yuri prohaska power or, or even big Jan power, I don't think so. Or Jamal Hill power, I think that would go very poorly for him. Oh, so God. that would be one of those weight classes exist for a reason. And no better example than Adesanya and his attempt to try and win the 205 belt. Not only that, can he handle a bigger guy, a better grappler? There's some big boys in there that can wrestle and grapple really well. Case in point, Glover Teixeira. It's not just about the power. He's right about the size. Size matters at that division. Mm-hmm. But imagine him fighting Jimmy Crude or Johnny Walker. Are you going to tell me that's not fun? That would be oh, fun. That would be fun, but it would oh, be he, comical. I think he'd dust Johnny Walker if he showed up at 190. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, but once you get a little higher up, that's where yeah. he, he might be very skilled. But when you don't have the weight, you don't have the physicality, the strength to go with it. That's when you can get into trouble. Mm-hmm. But mm, the, the Johnny Walker fight, I think he would he would probably start Johnny Walker now. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Well, we're going to move on to the next subject, which is involving a very big dude, a, someone who doesn't need to go up any further, and that's Tai Tuivasa. But there is a bit of a caveat to this one. So here's what's going to happen. Originally, what we were going to discuss was Ty talking about how well, you know, he's a big dude. He sits and coach on his flights, but he pays for the upgrade to sit at first class so he could have more room. 
yammer, yammer, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, we get it, okay? Labor exploitation is real, and these guys are not given accommodations that would perhaps be necessary or perhaps beneficial for their continued development and at least some relative form of comfort. But this is the part where daddy's going to take the digital sheet, crumple it up, and toss it over his shoulder because I got a bone to pick with one man and one man only. Mookie Alexander, that's you. That's right, bitch. I'm calling you out. We ain't doing this shit. We ain't talking about no Trivasa, no planes, no toilets, no none of that. We are here to pay tribute to you. That's right. Don't be out here. Don't cower away. I see you trying to sneak out that door. Let me tell you all a little something about Mookie Alexander, okay? There are many, many memories that I cherish about working with the guy and some that I don't cherish as much, like the time that he sent me a box that I opened, a snake popped out and it bit me on my left nut. I was not happy about that. Then there was the time that he sent me some chocolate and I didn't realize my hungry ass, I was high as hell. I ate a whole bunch of chocolate. It turns out that it was some sort of cat laxative. I'd never heard of that shit before. I mean, I should have noted it had something that said made in Lithuania on the package. I should have known better than to trust them goddamn Lithuanians. It happens to me every time. And then there was a time where I had the unexpected and very much not appreciated doorbell ringing. I go out there after having some severe dental work on my molars, and who's at the door? Goddamn Mookie Alexander. And that skinny motherfucker jumped me and started punching me right in my mouth, right in the jaw. I don't know how he knew I had dental work done, but he continued to pound me in the face with his closed fist. And let me tell you, those wiry dudes, they hit hard. The cops show up, they didn't know what to do. They're like, well, shit, the guy on the bottom looks like he can whoop somebody's ass, but that skinny dude, he looked like he got rabies. I'm not tackling him. You might as well let this play out. This man showed up and beat my ass at home. Do you understand? My home, where my wife sleeps and my children play with their toys. Those are my memories of Mookie Alexander, and I hate that, and I hate you and everything you stand for. You've taken everything I've worked for. I'm coming for you. That's right, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> This whole time, and I think I might have mentioned this previously, but I've never really felt so much like I'm a host on this podcast. I've always felt like I'm a guest because you two treat me better than I deserve. And 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 Mookie's been instrumental in keeping this thing going and mm-hmm. and picking up in places where I've maybe fallen behind. And 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 not only that, but I mean, I guess it's safe for me to put this out here too. When you two were were looking to add a third person, Mookie was the one who brought up the idea to bring me in. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I'm here because of that. And I've been having the time of my goddamn life doing it. I've said this so many times. I always like we're done recording and I'm always looking forward to the next week for making this happen. And I'm just, you know, like, yeah, it's it's sad that you're leaving and all that but dude i can't tell you how happy i am i'm so happy to see you move on to do something that not only well i mean sure you love and everything but it's it's hopefully something that'll create better opportunities and and uh, something that'll be a lot more stable for you as well i just kind of feel like in another sense it's the one of the funniest things in the world to me is to see somebody get everything they want and be miserable and you're covering the seahawks so (laughs) i don't know about that the only way this could be any funnier is if you get another side gig covering the blazers and man listen (laughs) i wouldn't it's like if there's anybody that's having less fun than dame lillard it's that guy. But hey, it's what it is, man. And and uh, you know, it it's there's there's one thing to say that it's a pleasure to work somebody, but it's it's truly been an honor uh to do this here with you. And look, you're not you really you're not leaving the 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 planet, you know, you're still gonna be uh, around online and everything like that. And obviously, you know, we're still gonna be buddies no matter what, but I'm proud to be here to work with you and I'm proud to call you a friend. So thank you for all the uh all everything that you've done here and thank you for putting up with me. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't have said it better myself. It is an honor and a privilege to get the rub elbows with you every week. I get two times a week. So Victor, be jealous of all yeah. those years that I got two days a week out of them. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I told myself today, you're not going to fucking cry, Steph. You're not going to cry. And I'm determined not to, because I want this to be fun. And I want the our last show, I want Mookie to look back on it and say, God damn, Steph didn't cry. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send you, you a plaque. Family. Definitely family. Thank, thank you so much, both of you. Um, I, I've in private gotten, of course, a lot of the similar messages from my fellow uh, editors. I've got a farewell fan post that uh, will be read on, uh, will, will be put up on Bloody Elbow. In fact, it's up by the time the show goes live on Friday, so uh, you'll you'll get a glance at it. It's a it's a big tribute to everybody. Um, but Victor, as far as the snake thing, see, you're lucky because my second snake was supposed to be in that box to get the other <laughs> testicle. But for some reason, it just slithered away. Yeah, I mean, I guess the snakes didn't get the message. The testicles, they're like Mormons. They always travel in pairs. There's always one bigger than the other. They don't really know. They don't process info the same way. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it got lost on the flight. I, I can't explain how it happened, but there you go. Snakes on a goddamn plane. There you go. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know what? Uh, there there are some other bloopers that I can remember that were real. Uh, I think the, the British accent I did, something about chimney sweep oh, that, yeah. that you, you left in. I did. What? I did. I don't remember this. There's a couple of good ones that I would leave in because they were hilarious. Um, and then I have a whole folder. I have to go through them, though, because some are just random bloopers where we just, you know, flub. But there's some really funny ones in there, too. But I'm totally putting that one in there where you were imitating. I forget who it was you were imitating. But that's one of the funniest things ever. And when I was looking through my bloopers last night, I came across it and I was like, oh, yes, that is so going in the show today because it's only been out there one time. A, a rarely before seen blooper, I guess. Yes. You know, I've done other I was doing an impression to somebody, but I know I've done other impressions on this show. I've done the stitch impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You know, Yes, which is, that's, which is great for the for the children who listen to this podcast. That's an all timer. <laughs> I love that one. That's great. Well, I, I, I might as well do it one more one more time. <laughs> and, and if I if I tweak my voice just a little bit, you know, it, it, it turns into it turns into Chris Eubank Sr. Oh, and, and, wow! And his sartorial elegance with the way that he dresses himself. I'm looking forward to watching his son against uh, Nigel Ben Nigel Ben son Connor Ben. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that many impressions, ladies and gentlemen. I think I did the Howard Cosell one, but that was off air. Uh, but look, I've had a blast doing these podcasts and being with the whole buddy elbow team. Uh, we still got time left in the show to, to so I'm going to save my piece for a little later on after the picks are, are, are done. And Victor, you eschewed the, the, the tie to Ivasa piece, but UFC get that damn man in first class. Yeah. And I hope that, I hope that his, his, his uh, ticket can be reimbursed by the UFC. I know they can already, they, they already cover the costs, the, the flight costs, the travel costs for a fighter. And then I think one corner person, but those big boys, they got to go first class all the time, the especially very, when you're headlining. At the very least, put them all in business class and let the big boys, anybody over six one, six feet, needs to go in first class. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't put a six foot six guy in coach, even if he's not a heavyweight. You just can't do that. It's it's almost physically impossible. We just flew two months ago and I got the experience of flying everything from a puddle jumper, two different kinds of um, flight services on jumbo jets. And let me tell you, coach is tiny. We upgrade all the time because we're not big people, but we don't want to ride in coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also we already know how strict airlines tend to be and, 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 and the way that's, flying has just become such a pain with all the security stuff. How difficult, imagine how difficult it must have been for Tai Tuivasa to try and do a shoey and coach. <laughs> you need room for that. Oh, you you kind of do, but then like, you know, listen, I don't know about you. I don't care who you are. As soon as somebody, a coach takes off their shoe, I'm throwing something at them. Like, you are not doing this to me, bitch. I pay good money. I pay good money to be here on this goddamn flight. You're not going to ruin this experience to me out here with your little athlete's foot out here. You got all, I'm breathing in all this cabin air. Nah, this is bad enough. Yeah, that, that'd be, for forget COVID, that'd be a reason to wear the mask on a flight at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and like one of them gas masks, too. <laughs> Have a hazmat suit on. All right, so... um I guess we could close this out with our picks for UFC Paris. I'm on a bad run with, with these last couple of, of shows because I got the main event wrong with Usman and Edwards at the last minute. And then I was looking in, in good position with the Mariah's Mighty Mouse fight in the second round. And then Mighty Mouse just goes with a video game combination that puts away Adriana Mariah. So Steffi and Victor got that correct. I got that wrong. Uh, I can't remember who said it. It might have been Kaposa uh, that it was like a cinematic type of knockout and i couldn't agree more i i've watched that knockout repeatedly just for just for the way that he walked off like a boss mm-hmm. and the way that Mariah slumped back slowly i mean it, it was like a, an npc in in red dead redemption too i mean that was <laughs> terrifying ragdoll physics there um so mighty mouse got the win i took the l but I've still got fights to pick even after I've, uh, I'm gone from this show. So I'll still be putting my picks in for, for UFC and other shows uh, through the rest of this year. But for this one, we got UFC Paris, Cyril Gaon, and Tai Tuivasa. 
so that's the main event. Co-main event, Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori. We will start, though, with a fight that for some reason is way down on the prelims. And I hope that they shuffle this bout order a little more so it can end up on the main card. Now, Sordine Imavov against Joaquin Buckley. That is a terrific fight and a real interesting test for Imavov. That is not a gimme fight. It's really not. But Buckley can sometimes be a mixed bag. And so I'm actually going to pick Imavov here. I, I'm going to throw that dart and hope it lands right in the bullseye because I think that he can get it done, but I would never rule Buckley out because he can pull off some insanity. But just going off of his performances and how hit or miss he is, I feel like Imavov is a little bit has a little bit more stability with his technique and all of his weapons. So I'm going to pick Imabov here. You know, this is middleweight. This is the thing. This division is so crazy chaotic. Like, I don't know, man. I, I kind of want to, like, I, I want to pick Buckley in a way, but I think that Imabov might be a little tricky and he might be able to, uh, you know, control the pace a little better and, you know, kind of start to fluster Buckley with everything that, that, you know, he brings forth. I don't know, man. I I guess I'm gonna go with. I'm just gonna go with Imavov based off vibes. That's it. I'm I'm not really I'm not really gonna give this any further thought. This is a tough one. Even though Imavov is like a two to one favorite, I feel like Buckley is a real live dog here. Now Imavov, other than the Phil Haas fight, which I think if he'd thrown a little bit more or wasn't exhausted himself, he could have gotten Haas out of there. I mean, to his last two wins, he, he stopped Ian Heinish, which is not an easy thing to do. And then he stopped Edmund Shabazian, who was supposed to be this big prospect and hyped up because of his, his ties to Ronda Rousey. But I think Shabazian is looking a lot like a busted prospect. Did he not leave Tarverdian? I think he did. Mm. Well, so the, the, the ship may be turned around just yet. Good for Damn. him. I wouldn't I wouldn't stay with Tarverdian either. I wouldn't have even been there in the first place. Yeah, lasted long enough there, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, with this fight, Imavov, I think, is the more trustworthy fighter in theory. I think he's got a more well-rounded game, like like from a minute-to-minute consistency to him than, than Buckley, who relies, I think, a little too much on, on big bursts. But the problem for, I see for Imavov is his defense isn't the best, and Buckley, if nothing else, has serious knockout power. Of course, we saw his... Epic spinning kick of, of uh, Impa Kasangane, one of the best knockouts in UFC history. Uh, he looked outstanding against uh, Albert Durayev. Uh, he wasn't great against um, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. And if that's the fighter who shows up, then I think that Imavov wins. But I think about his pressuring and how that could impact Imavov and his footwork and how he responds to pressure. I'm going to go with Buckley here for the for the upset. So this is a fight that I think has fight of the night potential. He's going to go to France and, and spoil spoil the celebrations for Imavov. So mm. I'm going to pick Buckley. So I'm the dissenting voice here. Now we get to the main card. Charles Jourdain against Nathaniel Wood. This is a fantastic fight that they threw together on pretty short notice. This is the certified banger rain here. My God. And it's, for me, the hardest fight on the on the card to pick. Jordan is super dynamic, but he's he's the guy that comes on late. He always takes a beating and then he has to catch up. He does pretty good first round, takes second round off or gets his ass handed to him in the second round. And then he's playing catch up in the third round. Now he's a, a phenomenal third round fighter. So based on that, hmm. Man, I'm having such a hard time. But I, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with Jordan. Yeah, I think so. I think largely because of the um, use of reach and Jordan's clinch work and his um, – yeah, I think I think this is probably where he's going to uh, maybe deviate from how he fought last time against Burgos. You know, I mean that that's kind of going to be a bit of a cloud over him here if he fights in a similar way here, right? If he If he's – not more active early on or not able to get his game off and really start to establish a bit more control earlier in the game. So um, I'm going to go with that, even though, I mean, God, Wood is such a, it's so hard here to pick because Wood is such a great prospect of super talented guy who's capable of so much. Um, I, 
Mm. And this this whole card, man, it's just a, a brief aside. This whole card, this UFC, ho, 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 this is so good right here, man. Stephanie Yeager's on it. Khalid Taha versus Christy Quinones, sleeper, amazing fucking fight. Uh, you got uh, uh, Stoltzfus versus uh, Magomedov. That's another sleeper. I mean, this is this is top to bottom. You know, it's it's not perfect, but it's really really good. And this fight just it's a, just another example of how rich and how packed this is because these guys are going to be like two years from now. Both of these guys are going to be in some primo spots in that division. But right now, I'm going to go with Jordan. Mm. I'm going to go with Jordan as well. But there is some pause there because I feel like Nathaniel Wood, we've been talking about weight cutting for after the show. I think he benefits greatly from going up to 145 because he looked really big for Bantamweight. And I suspect a lot of his training camp was focused on his weight cuts. Um, This is going to be a high octane fight because they both like to set a pace. Uh, I, I believe a lot of this fight's going to be dependent on how much Wood can effectively pressure Jordan because one of Charles's problems, for as good a striker as he is, when he is forced to back to, to go on the back foot, he doesn't throw a lot. But on the front foot, I mean, I thought he got a raw deal against Shane Burgos, but yep. when he was aggressive on the front foot against Burgos in that third round, that was an arguable 10-8 round. And it should have won in the fight, in my opinion. But um, yeah, Jordan can, can hit hard. Uh, he's got... You know, not a terrible ground game by any means. I mean, we just saw him submit, uh, what's his name, Lando Venata, and, and guillotine him while Venata's pants are falling off. So he, he's got that crafty game off of his back, even if his defensive wrestling isn't the best. I, I think that Jordan's durability might be a bigger difference here because he's hard to, to really crack and, and wobble badly. And then Nathaniel Wood, we've seen him get stopped by John Dotson back at 135. Maybe he can take those punches better at 145, but I see Jordan uh, attacking the body a lot and trying to wear Wood out and, and landing a big shot later on in the fight to uh, secure the victory. So I'm expecting this to be a fight of the night caliber performance. Jordan by decision. So we're unanimous there. Next up, another banger, John Nakdesi, who unbelievably has been in the UFC for 12 years now. It feels it feels remarkable that he's lasted this long. He's taken on Nasrat Hakparast, who really needs a win, given he's lost two in a row. Man, they put him up against a guy that's going to make it really tough for him to get that win, though. Mac Desi might be small, but that dude is tough as nails, and he has an excellent high kick. Excellent high kick. Um, I want to pick Nasrat. But I don't know if he's going to get through MacDessy. And I know MacDessy's 37, but man, he makes it just a chore to fight him. And he's super technical. I think I'm going to take MacDessy. Yep, I am. Mm, I like MacDessy, but do I trust him? Not enough. I'm sorry. I'm going to go with Hakparast. I, I just, no. I don't trust Mm-mm. Hakparast. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Nasrat. I just, I just, I see, I see a lot of upside in him. I think maybe, just maybe, he might be ready. He's catching McDessey on a bit of a slide. You know, McDessey's not, not in his prime anymore. Clearly, I mean, he still is a dude that can hang. He's still good. I'm not knocking him in any way. I'm just saying that Nasrat is looking like he's reaching his final form, and that he's, that's, you know, as, as being able to neutralize the mid range, being able to get in his face and make it as ugly as he needs to, and then being able to pack on the power not only early on the fight but keep that pressure late. That alone right there, man, I, I can't pick McDessie here. Yeah, you know, McDessie had the split win over Ignacio Bahamondes. I don't remember that fight all too well, but I, I don't think it was one of those those classics. Uh, he, he got bullied by Francisco Trinaldo, but the thing with Hawk Cross is he pretty much refuses to wrestle, mm-hmm. so he's not going to exploit McDessie's weakness. Uh, and as powerful as he is, he's got fast hands. He pretty much only wants to box. I mean, I think that could be an issue against mm. Magdess, who's got greater depth to his game. And I think that's been a problem for Hawk Paras over the years. But on the flip side, I look at Hawk Paras' loss, Hawk Paras' losses. Marcin held in his debut, which I swear was on short notice, but maybe I'm wrong there. Um, yeah, it was on short notice. He was an injury replacement for Timo Pakalin. But his other losses, Drew Dober, and that was a surprise knockout, but, you know, Dober can hit extremely hard. He's a damn good fighter. And then Dan Hooker and Bobby Green. And Dan Hooker kind of needed a, that, that type of fight because of the fights he'd been in prior. And Bobby Green, that's always going to be a bad matchup for him because not only is Green a better boxer, but he can also out-wrestle him. So uh, I think about MacDessie's style, and if he can't put Hawk Parast on the back foot, if he can't throw something powerful, he's not going to be able to dissuade Hawk Parast from coming forward. And I think that Hawk Parast will land the more damaging shots. Even if MacDessie lands more overall, 
I think that he can crack Mac Desi a little bit harder than the other way around. So I'm going to go with Hawk Paras by decision. So Steffi's the only one picking Mac Desi mm-hmm. here. You know, it's a good car when we're, we're not unanimous on mm-hmm. on a couple of these fights. So the I'm co-main just event taking mi- a big risk, though. I, I will admit that. I just Victor doesn't trust Mac Desi, and I can't put my faith in in Hawk Paras yet. He gets past Mac Desi, somebody as tough as Mac Desi. I might start looking at him better in a better light again. But right now, I need to see him get past Mac Desi first before I put my eggs back in that basket. Yeah, it's really a fight that he needs to win given his his losing skid. And Mac Desi would be a fair bit below Bobby Green and Dan Hooker in the lightweight pecking order. Uh, So, yeah, you look at this card. The only fight that's got like a wide, wide... Um, betting line is is gone into Ivasa. Now we're recording this a little bit early, but I I, I wish I knew Yanni the Greek's uh, prop bets or <laughs> or just straight up bets. We can't ignore this. I, I look every every tout is going to have a bad run at some moment. His bad run is seemingly extended for years on end. And if you've been watching Contender Series, I believe Fight Ghost noted it. He is two for his last eighteen bets. This is John Starks in the 1994 NBA Finals Game 7 bad. And he went 0 for 5 on this last episode. I thought he was 2 and 18. That he'd only done 2 out of his last 20 with 18 losses. I have the graphic on my Twitter. No, so even worse, two of twenty. Yeah. Well, yeah. Didn't he also have like a prop bet and another parlay or something like that? Like, you know, it just, buddy, it's such a bad look to set to have an in-house gambling guy and to run so much, advertise so much of the gambling and the lines and everything for each fight between them in the middle of it. Like, dude, what? I don't know, man. It just it not only does it seem crazy unethical, it's like, damn, this is the best you can do, this guy. All right. And okay. also, if you pay attention to, um. Uh, Mike uh, Russell's Twitter. He went in and he did a deep dive on Yanni, and apparently Yanni has a bunch of aliases. And you know, Mike compared him to Ali. Mm, mm, so mm. there, there, there's some uh, worthwhile investigation to be done there to find out exactly where Yanni's coming from. Okay. Well, no, 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 no need to investigate. <laughs> uh, let's leave that aside for now because there, there's still a few more Contender Series episodes left. And a really quick way to get rich, <laughs> a really quick way to get rich is to find out who he's betting on and then go to your go to your immediate DraftKings or FanDuel app, whichever you prefer. And it's time to make some money yeah. by fading the Greek. <laughs> All right. So from from the Greek, we go to uh, Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori. This is I think the, the original co-main event might have been Jessica Andrade and Manal Fior. I don't remember how the how the bad order was supposed to go, but this is the co-main for sure. Whitaker's a two to one favorite. Can he uh, get the win here? Yes. I think that Vittori's going to make it difficult, but Vittori doesn't have the power that typically puts Whitaker in problem situations. So because of that, I think it's going to be all right. And Vittori's wrestling, I think, will be absolutely stymied by Whitaker's wrestling. So I don't even worry there. I, the, the pressure might be a problem. He might be able to tire Robert out because that's one thing I have noticed. Even in the winning fights, by the third round, Robert is tired. And the other thing, you know, Jared Kennedyer may managed to hurt him pretty bad in that third round of their fight, even though uh, Rob won and decisively won. He was clearly hurt in that last round. And I think part of it had to do with the fact that he was running out of gas, too. So that might be an issue here. But I just think more advantages are with Rob. So I'm going to take him. And I think that he might. No, I'm not going to say it. I was going to say, I think he might actually have the power to be able to put Vittori away. But I mean, I can't imagine it. Vittori's got a head like a boulder. So I'm not going to say that. Well, I'll tell you something. I will. I think that I think that Robbie might crack him. Look, Vittori, not a bad fighter, not a super smart fighter, not a, not the most adaptable fighter. And I'm not calling him dumb in the sense of like, I, I mean, I do think that he's not a, you know, so in terms of like, you know, his, his personal opinions are quite bad, but that's not that's not what I'm referring to here. I'm just referring in terms of like being able to to uh, make the necessary adjustments moment to moment. You know, he's he's mostly mostly a wrestle boxer and there's no way he's going to out wrestle or outbox Robert Whitaker. I don't see that happening, especially not in the when, when you look at the fact that Whitaker has 
elite level wrestling in middleweight and a dude who's able to put that kind of power and look maybe Vittori hasn't been uh cracked or you know put down yet but i think that whitaker might finally with the mileage that Vittori's accumulated thus far and with the power that whitaker has and the accuracy and the ability to do that especially late i think he might be able to put him to sleep so i'm gonna go with bobby knuckles I am too. I just don't know if he'll actually be able to put him down. I hope oh, so. I do. I, <laughs> I absolutely so. do. Um, I'm going with Whitaker. I don't have too much hesitation there. It's a matter of will, could he stop him? I don't. I mean, it is possible given Whitaker's history, but it's also been a fair bit since he's he's knocked someone out. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would be his his last stoppage win? I got. I would probably have to pull it up. It could be the Jacare fight or. or uh, yeah, so with the Tory, he is remarkably durable, I, and I think that's part of why I would think Whitaker would be more likely to win a decision. Yes, it was the Jacare fight, by the by the way. That's the last time Whitaker has actually finished somebody, but he's gotten some knockdowns during that span, so he can hurt people. Um, for Vittori, even though Whitaker and Adesanya aren't the same fighter, he still has the same problem, the same baseline problem, which is he can't out-wrestle Whitaker, mm. and he doesn't really have the striking to outfox Adesanya. He didn't have it against Adesanya, especially in the rematch, and he won't be able to have it against Whitaker. I think about how Whitaker uses his jab, he, the way that he uses the, the, his kicks to set, to set up his left hooks. Um, as long as Whitaker doesn't resort to that lunging, weird stuff that he did in the first Adesanya fight, I think that was more of the matchup with Izzy than anything else. Vittori fights at a good pace, over 15 minutes. I think his cardio will hold up better than it has in a couple of the 25-minute ones, but I just don't see how he can convincingly win rounds against Whitaker um, because of the fact that he can't establish his wrestling and Whitaker is more likely to land the cleaner, more effective punches, more effective strikes overall. So Whitaker by decision. Um, if Vittori wins, though, I know there's going to be a great old party in the Mike Tarico household. Anyway, hey. uh, we're unanimous. <laughs> I have to get one more in. <laughs> we're, we're unanimous on Robert Whitaker over Marvin Vittori. Now the main event, which has the widest betting odds. Cyril gone against Taito Ivasa, and apparently he got a pretty big reception to Taito Ivasa at media day in the workouts because even though this isn't France, it's an enemy territory, everybody knows the Shui as a result of Tuivasa's personality and then the fact that he's been able to celebrate with the Shui with all these wins recently. But this is a tall task for him against Cyril Gan. So who wins? Odds? What are the odds? How wide are they? How wide are they? Um, not as wide as coach seats. Well, actually, it is wider than coach seats. <laughs> Much wider. Minus 580 for Cyril <gasps> Gan to Tuivasa's plus 440. That it is, is re- it is really wide, actually. Yeah, Ooh. that is entirely too wide, considering the kind of power that Tai Tuivasa packs and the insane durability of his chin. Because if we go back to that Greg Hardy fight, Greg Hardy managed to crack him right on the spot, and it buckled his legs. But he didn't go down all the way. He wobbled, he staggered, he kept swinging, and of course he knocked out Greg Hardy. But I am always brought back to how he stayed upright because he got hit with a hammer. And while stunned, he was still deadly enough to put uh, Greg Hardy straight to sleep. So I think that those odds are insane. But I'm still going to take gone because I feel like Tech, he's much more technically sound. He, his cardio is outstanding. And that is something that Taito Ivasa has battled with in the past. So if this goes the distance, which I think it will, it's absolutely going to be Gon's fight. So I am picking Gon, but the odds are ridiculous because Ty is absolutely in this fight. You know what, man? I, I'm I'm with you, Stephanie, on you know as far as what you said regarding Tuivasa taking a lick and keep on taking thing. You know, like I, I get that, but at the same time, you do have to ask how many of those does he have in him, and how many of those can he take from Cyril? I'm not entirely sure. I like the 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 odds here for that. He obviously isn't going to be um, relying exclusively on his chin, but you know it, it it is it is worth considering. Like, yeah, how how does this go exactly? How's this going to work? Um, you know what? I I don't. I, I'm just going to go with the reckless underdog pick. I'm just going to go with Tivasa just because I don't really even have any. Um, 
No, not not any no no deep technical analysis or anything like that. I just like before, this is just straight up vibes. I'm gonna go with Tivasa because why the hell not? Isn't he still really young, like 27, 28 years old, something like that? Uh, for heavyweight, he's like Mookie's age. He's like twelve. Yeah. Well, well, for real, he is eight months older than I am. He's born in March of '93. So yeah, he might as well be twelve in the heavyweight division. Exactly. Oh so God. I think he has a lot left in the tank, and he hasn't been slept very much. He doesn't get in those big, prolonged, knockdown, drag-out fights that go from one bell all the way to the end. I think he's got more durability than you're giving him credit for, Victor. It just, it just has like to me. There's like a, a an initial predisposition to it, it wears off over time. Like people have to grow on me for this to happen. But usually, anybody who was born after the release of the original Street Fighter Two, I don't like them, you know. So it says a lot that I like to that I like Ty as much as I do, that I like Mookie as much as I do, because like, yo, what the hell are you doing, Victor? Admit it, you're just jealous of everybody's youth. I mean, listen, I, I look pretty young myself, so I mean, <laughs> you're forgetting I'm Dominican, all right? If anybody knows how to look young and fool people. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I'm, I think Tuivasa has a chance, like a puncher's mm-hmm. chance, striker's ta- yes. chance. That's that's exactly the words yeah. that I needed and, right there, a puncher's And how can chance. you, I mean, how can you argue otherwise? Because he's got 14 wins and 13 of them are by knockout. Mm-hmm. Arlovsky, because Arlovsky goes to decision all the time these days, that's the only guy he couldn't put away. Mm-hmm. But another factor here, he's 1-0 against French guys named Cyril. Don't forget, he, very early in his UFC career, he knocked out Connor Rebush lookalike Cyril Asker. And mm. that was, by default, one of my favorite wins in the history of the sport. But outside of that, since the, the, the three-fight losing streak, and Dos Santos is the only one to knock him out, I mean, Struve, Harry Hunsucker just got released by the UFC, Greg Hardy, Augusto Sakai, Derek Lewis. It's those last two fights in particular. And I know Sakai is probably going to be bounced soon, but Sakai started his UFC career pretty well. Beating Derek Lewis the way he did, you know, withstanding the wrestling from Derek Lewis in the opening round and then knocking him out expertly with that elbow. I think that he has that one shot capability to, to really trouble Cyril Gaon. Now, on, on the other side, we haven't seen Gaon historically trouble all that much from other people's big shots. We haven't seen him hurt or anything. But it's not impossible. It's heavyweight. So it, it's going to happen at some point. I think where Tuway Boss is going to have a problem, beyond this being a 25-minute fight and a real test of his cardio that we haven't really seen before, um, on the ground, there's going to be a massive skill gap. Because... Not only that, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the way that Gone is going to keep him at range with either the kicks or the, the punches, he's excellent at dictating range. That's going to mess Tuivasa all up because he's a bull in a china shop. He just wants to rush in and swing those overhands, especially against taller guys. Oof, that ain't yeah, going to happen and- here. Gone is going to keep him at range simply with those kicks. Mm-hmm. And Gon is also, he can be a nasty clinch striker. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, think yeah. of the elbows he landed on Junior Dos Santos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as, as sad as that fight was to see. But, but I think uh, that it, was a calculated risk he took there because he knew that Junior Dos Santos was toast. I mean, mm-hmm. by the time they fought, he was well done, past his prime. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be willing to take the risk of getting in the clinch with, with Tuivasa, though. I think he's a lot smarter than that. Yeah, and he's safe almost to a fault. Yeah, and it, it may not make for the most exciting fight for that reason, but I think the fans would still in France cheer any takedown mm-hmm. Gon gets if he even passes guard. They're they're, they're going to be going crazy. This is the very first UFC show in the country. Uh, I'm going to go with Gon by decision. I wouldn't rule out a stoppage because mm-hmm. Gon can also submit people, mm-hmm. and Tuivasa has been tapped and dominated by by Sergey Spivak uh, not too long ago. So I'm going with Gon because of the way that he can dictate range with his jab. With his kicks, like Tuivasa's got some some heavy kicks, but Gon's kicks are are, are thudding and they they're well matched, well placed rather. So I, I think Gon takes it by decision, but I won't rule out Tuivasa, especially since given my history picking heavyweight fights. I, I when it when it comes to picking heavyweight fights, I turn into Yanni the Greek. So, <laughs> Tuivasa backers, you like that those heavy underdog lines? You might want to place a bet. Uh, I, you know that's just. That's just uh, something they're going to leave in there. So to recap our picks, Victor's going with Tuivasa over Gone. We're unanimous on Whitaker over Vittori. Steffi is picking Mac Desi over Hawk Paras. We're unanimous on Charles Jordan over Nathaniel Wood. 
And uh, I'm the only one going with Joaquin Buckley over Nasordin Imavov. So the standings, by the way, I'm now only one ahead of Steffi, who is nine ahead of Victor. So uh, you can read the staff's picks over at Bloody Elbow. You can read my farewell fan post over at Bloody Elbow as well. And I guess I'll wrap up my side by saying I, I am excited for my new role at Field Goals, but I will miss being with the Bloody Elbow team, not just Steffi and Victor, but the editors and the staff as a whole. And, and really that alone is why this was not an easy decision for me to leave, especially with the job opportunity coming so suddenly. But I can guarantee our listeners that you are in good hands with Steffi and Victor taking full control of level change moving forward. I will see it, see to it that Victor actually likes the audience for a change. Um, <laughs> this, good luck with that shit. Buddy. Yeah, this is not goodbye forever. It's just goodbye for now. And in fact, you will hear me uh, periodically, yes. including for UFC 280 in a few weeks. And I sure hope like hell that I actually still have a lead in the picks by the time I'm back on the air again. Nope. Not going to happen. You know what it is, uh, it's going to be? It's Victor's going to pull some crazy shit and he's going to pick every single thing against us and then he's going to hit on all of them. Because that's how <laughs> shit goes for us. Nah, come on, man. <laughs> so, I guess on that note, we are going to wrap the show. Um, end of an era here, really. The, the, the Three Musketeers will be no more. And while that's uh, a little bit sad and disheartening, it's awesome because Mookie gets to go and chase down a real career opportunity that can flourish for him for many years down the road. I mean, it's the kind of career opportunity one can retire from. So I love that for you. Super happy for you. And I'm going to be rooting for you every second of every day. So on that note, we are going to wrap the show uh, do me a favor, follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. Myself at Crooklyn MMA. The show at Level Change Pod. Uh, we are also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. Uh, you can find all of our work on Bloody Elbow. Well, at least Victor and I's. Uh, you can find Mookie's work on Field Goals, where he's been working for the past few years anyways. But now he's in like a position of power. He's going to wield it ruthlessly, too. Um, yeah. And uh, listen to his dulcet tones telling you where you can find this podcast and all the other great bloody elbow podcast and for those out there that are worried about how our voiceovers are going to be done mookie has graciously agreed to continue doing our voiceovers for us so you'll get to hear them all the time anyways so until next time please stay safe thank you for listening to this bloody elbow presents production to check out more of our content hop over to the bloody elbow presents soundcloud and itunes pages as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, the sixth round post fight show sixth round retro the mma depressed us crooklyn's corner exclusive fighter interviews show money and radio style play-by-play for every ufc pay-per-view be sure to also follow us on twitter at bloody elbow facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>